It's so good to see you, as I said a moment ago. I really mean that. Missed you guys last week. Um, if you haven't already, would you pick up one of these communion packs? We'll be uh, receiving communion together as we do each week. Uh, we also have some Bibles there by where Bill is. And if you already have a Bible, would you turn or swipe to Psalm 127? Psalm 127. As I mentioned before, thanks Jason for preaching through Psalm 126 last week. But this evening we're in Psalm 127. And again, we're in our series, Psalms for the Journey. The 15 Psalms of Ascent are songs sung by pilgrims like us on our journey toward God. Unlike us, however, the songs that we're looking at were sung by those literally ascending, walking up a hill toward the temple to worship God. But like us, they are looking for that space where heaven and earth meet to see and taste the goodness of God. So we may not be walking up a hill singing these songs, but we can enter into them and try to find that space where God's life and love overlap with our everyday lives. And Psalm 127 is an everyday life psalm. There's two halves that we're going to be looking at, and they have to do with our work and our family. What's more everyday life than that, right? So we're going to be looking at two halves, then we're going to ask two honest questions, one for each half, and then by the end of our time, you're going to get two practices to help us live our everyday lives with more intention this week. Because if you're like me and those that I was talking to before our gathering, we've had a week. Every week is a week. Am I right? So we come up. We ascend to find where heaven and earth overlap together to be encouraged and inspired to make it through another one. So we're going to have two halves of these psalms, two questions, two practices. Join me in Psalm 127. I'm going to be reading in the NIV. So let's hear this ancient song or poem, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. If you are reading the New Revised Standard Version, listen how they put that phrase. Eating the bread of anxious toil. That's dramatic. That's powerful. But he grants sleep or rest to those he loves. Verse 3, the second half of the psalm. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Y'all know what that's talking about, right? Y'all have seen enough Marvel movies, right? The quiver holds the arrows. The arrows are a metaphor for these children. Blessed is the man who's got a lot of kids in his arrow quiver. <laughs> they will not be put to shame 
when they contend with their opponents in court. In the ancient Near East, a large family, especially a family full of sons, that's just how it was, they reflected blessing, status, and a legacy that he's leaving to carry on the family name. And very practically, what this psalm closes with, they got character witnesses. So if ever this guy was dragged up into a dispute, he has this arrow full of children to say, my dad's all right. Well, that's Adam's word, but this is the word of God for the people of God. And we say thanks be to God. Psalm 127. This is what happens when I have a week off. There's more where this came from. Now, how many of you noticed something interesting that at the beginning of this psalm where it says a song of ascents, it also says of whom? Solomon. Sometimes it's not to say that he may or may not have written it, but they say of Solomon because they want to they want to give us a hint about something. So before we get too far, when you think of Solomon, who is a huge figure in the Jewish tradition, the wisest man who ever lived, there's really two things he was famous for. And the first is the temple. Solomon was the one who was getting things done and was getting that temple built. In 2 Samuel 7, I would encourage you to write that down. There's this promise where David's like, I want to build you a temple. And God's like, cool, thanks for that, but also you're not going to. He said, I know you want to build me a house, but actually your son, your house is going to build me a house. Solomon builds a house for God, and then God builds a house for David, a monarchy of kings that will last forever. It's fascinating and a very important text to understand the Old Testament. So Solomon is known for the temple. The temple was Solomon's work. It's what he did that made a lasting impact. And the house also stood for the family that Solomon was leaving behind. So we have work, family. So when you have of Solomon, and you have one half about work and one half about family, you're starting to say, okay, I'm starting to see how these fit together. Solomon is also known for wisdom, in the Bible, there's different genres. Do y'all know what the word Bible means? Biblos, what it comes from? Books. We have the Holy Bible, the Holy Books. And if you walk into the library, you know there's different genres of books. It's the same in the library. One of the genres is the wisdom books. So Solomon traditionally is said to have written the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes so we have the wisdom literature, or the Songs of Solomon is another example. They talk about how to live well. Because you can be smart, where you know a lot of stuff, or you can be wise, where you can live the stuff. So not only do we have Solomon in the temple, you have Solomon hinting at wisdom. This is not just a song of ascent, it's a wisdom psalm. This is some Bible stuff to get us going. But again, if wisdom is about living well, where else do you want to live well if at least in your work, what you're doing for a living, and in your family, those you're living life with? That's, I think, why this psalm hangs together these two halves. And the big idea or umbrella over this whole thing, here's my big idea. You ready? 
the mystery and wisdom of Psalm 127 points to this. Our everyday life was designed to be lived in participation with the eternal God. You go up to the temple where heaven and earth overlap, and then you go back down into your everyday life, and this psalm gives us a guide to see how heaven and earth overlap in your work and your family, the eternal infusing the everyday spaces. Are you with me? I want to set the table right now to see how these two halves hang together because the invitation for you this week is to go from this place looking for signs of the divine in and amongst your everyday grind. You with me on this? That's what I believe is the message of Psalm 127. So let's look at that first half. I'm going to give you a question and a practice. Then we're going to look at the second half. And then we'll give you a question and a practice. But I want to show you a picture as we get into the first half of our psalm. You see this picture? What do we see here? Say it loud for those watching online. Legos. I'm told, though, that the plural form of Legos is Lego. So we have Lego up here. That sounds weird. And I had this idea that I would get a Lego set, a little small one, kind of like the ones you see in the picture. And I had this idea that maybe I would bring a kid up here and I'd hand him a box and I'd hand him the instructions and say, can you build this real quick while I'm giving you the intro that I just gave you? And I thought better of it because I had a sneaky trick. And the sneaky trick was that I was going to withhold one piece. And not just any piece, like the piece, the piece that makes the set complete, right? So with our example up here, it'd be like, Sydney, if I brought you up and I just couldn't do this to you, and I said, would you build this car and like there wasn't a steering wheel, would it be right? Could we have a Lego car without a steering wheel? Not really. Or I gave you a minifig, Nora, and I said, hey, will you put this dude together and he's missing his head? Or this robot is missing his eyes? Or this parrot is missing his microphone? <laughs> that would work, but the rest of them wouldn't. I should have looked at this better. What is a parrot without a microphone, people? Let us pray. They'd be missing the central piece that makes it complete. So how about building a life? We're all living. We're all living and breathing and doing something. But some people in our circles are living without the piece. Wouldn't it be wise to build a life without ever considering what is the thing that makes it all snap together? Do we know people like this? They're happy, they're healthy, they're functioning. But isn't it wiser to pay any attention and intention to the thing that snaps the whole of it together? To put it another way, what if you built your life connected to the source of life? This is what the psalmist has in mind. This is what the psalmist is saying in the first two verses, the first half. Did y'all see that? Those two very 
interesting and dynamic lines. Unless the Lord builds the house, all you builders are just kind of, you know, it's fruitless. Unless the Lord is guarding the city, all you guys looking out there on that city wall, I mean, you're kind of just wasting your time. Now, what the psalmist has in view is that God's presence, the source of life, is the peace to building a life well lived. And then we say, hey, psalmist, though, uh, there's still people building all over Jerusalem right now, dude. What are you talking about? And dude, there's still watchmen on the walls looking. So let me ask you this question. Can people still work and watch and grind and have a family and live and breathe? Shake your head yes, because there's eight billion of them, right? But look at the fruit. Look at the wisdom. The psalmist is trying to say, at least in your work and at least in your family, consider not just doing it on your own, but participating with the very giver of work and family and life. Our culture is discipling people who are working and living from a place of shallowness, a place of busyness, a place of greediness, and a place of self-centeredness. This seems bleak, but spend five minutes on Facebook and tell me I'm lying. We see people living and discipled in a culture of shallowness, busyness, greediness, and self-centeredness. That's not to say that that's all we see, but I think it's true that this is all present in our culture. And so you ask, well, what's the fruit of this? I would say, let's let Parker Palmer, educator and activist, give us a glimpse of what it might look like. He writes this, burnout. Burnout is a state of emptiness, to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Okay, I think the fruit of the world around us, let's leave this quote up there, is not just that I'm in a shallow culture that doesn't value any depth or rootedness. It's not just because I'm busy and I'm spinning my wheels and I'm giving everything up. It's not just greediness where I'm trying to fill the joyless existence, or maybe if I just buy this next thing, I'll be happy. And it's not just because it's all about me, 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 me. I think the problem is not just continuing and going and going. It's the fact that nothing is ever refilling. Or to put it another way, you're never drawing from anything beyond yourself that you can't buy or see or use. The wisdom psalm that we're looking at, unless you're building with God, are you really building something that lasts? Unless you're guarding and looking and protecting and looking ahead, are you really watching what matters most? Are you with me on this? So for Parker Palmer's quote, it's not that just we live in a culture that's constantly giving and consuming. 
It's that we're never recharging and reconnecting to the source of life and love that never runs empty. The fruit in a culture that prioritizes work, always giving, never recharging, is emptiness. That's burnout. The fruit of a culture that idolizes the self-made person completely neglects the reality that we are not as autonomous and in control as we think we are. The last time I preached, I talked about giving up not just control, but the illusion of control. Tonight, I want to invite you to give up the myth of autonomy, that you did it all and earned it all, and it's all up to you and no one else. Forget them. No. We exist in a web of relationships with the world and the people around us, and our culture is trying to disciple you to say it's all about you, and you deserve it, and you're the one that did it, and no one else did. I'm here to tell you, the fruit of that is vanity and pride. It's the reason why when we had this racial reckoning last June, that so many people were unable to see the products that we are of the environment around us when it comes to things like privilege and just the way of the world. Give up the myth of autonomy. You're here because of other people that have sacrificed or oppressed. You're here because of what other people has given or taken. We exist in a web of relationships and the sooner that we realize that we need to be recharged and refilled, And the sooner we realize we need to stay connected and not isolated, the more healthy and intentional you can live. That's the wisdom of Scripture. That's the wisdom of this psalm. Unless the Lord builds, man, what are you building of value? Unless the Lord is with you and watching, what are you really looking forward to? This is, I believe, what's going on. Verse 2 talks about the remember the bread of anxious toil. You remember this dramatic idea? Verse 2 just carries it on and he says, you know what the outgrowth is from that culture that values all this? It's workaholism. You get up early, you stay up late, but you're never really rested. Why? Because you just realized the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. You with me on all this? I think we live in a cultural moment amidst this pandemic that hard things are harder and your sad days are sadder and your anxious stress is stressier. And that's why I'm desperately telling myself and you all to stay connected to the source, to draw the life when you feel like you don't have it on your own, to sit with Jesus And to draw from him what you need to make it. So the Jesus way, as opposed to the cultural way, is not one of shallowness, but he invites you to depth and rootedness. To know that you exist in a great line of people who have sought and ascended to God and find in their everyday lives, heaven and earth overlapping, the depth. In a culture that values busyness, The Jesus way is a call to presence, to attentiveness to the person sitting in front of me. I see this person as someone like me who's made in the image of God and worthy of dignity, love, and respect. I'm present to this person. I'm not just busily going to the next thing and looking for to-dos to be checked off. 
The culture says greediness. The Jesus way values generosity. God is a self-giving God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, constantly giving. And that giving and love spills out and we are to participate with that life-giving, self-giving love. That's why our culture is all about me, 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 me. The Jesus way is about we, 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 we. It's other-focused. And the more that we can get this, I think the fruit of it will not be emptiness and vanity. It will be fullness of life and partnership with the source of life. The mystery and wisdom of Psalm 127 points to this. Our everyday life was designed to be lived in participation with an eternal God. That's what I'm trying to convey to you. And the more you stay connected to Jesus, the more you're discipled to him, the more you will begin to see this. So here's my first honest question. Verse 1, there's that phrase, unless the Lord builds the house. Do you remember this? On this slide here, it has a blank. And it's interesting because that word house in the Old Testament has a multiplicity of meanings. It has at least five. It could mean the temple, like I mentioned, of Solomon, building the house for God. Or it could mention the monarchy, like I said earlier, the house of David. Or it could be a literal house, a dwelling. Or it could mean all of the people of Israel. Or finally, it could mean your literal, actual people you're living life with, within your household. That's a lot of meanings. That's why I took it out and left a blank there and give you this honest question. What are you putting in the blank? What have you been building lately without the central piece, the thing that snaps and holds it and recharges and gives your, yourself purpose and meaning? What have you been building lately without the central piece of God's presence? If you're taking notes or writing down, what are you writing? Unless the Lord builds my blank, my building is fruitless. What is it? I told you it's an honest question. Has the culture or the kingdom of God had more influence in my work lately? And some of you say, well, I don't have a job. And I say to you, you are working and moving and creating and giving something to fill your days. What are you building? And unless the Lord builds it, my building is fruitless. The question I love to ask people, where are you on your journey with Jesus? Sometimes my answer is this. Let's see if you can resonate with it. Where are you on your journey with Jesus? And I would sit down and I would say, are you walking side by side with him? Is he like walking up a little bit ahead and you're trying to catch up? Y'all, y'all heard me talk about this. Sometimes my answer is this. Let me see if y'all have been here. Where am I on my journey with Jesus? Huh, I'm glad you asked. Because I feel like I've just been trudging along, walking with my head down, completely unaware that Jesus has been patiently waiting for me to look up, and he's a mile behind me. I left him in the dust way back there because I just have this stuff to do, man, and I've got to go and do this, and I've got to check this email, and oh, man, I forgot to call this person. Oh, oh man, I've got to go do this, too. Oh, gosh, and the kids are doing this, and yes, and the, oh, oh, yeah, whoops. I was supposed to be walking with my good shepherd. 
Now, (laughs) awareness is the first step. If this is you this week, awareness is the first step. I'm glad you asked. I need to go look and see, where, where am I? Because he's never moved. He's been there the whole time. He's just been waiting for me to show up. I think the next step is to discern the difference now between what I need to do to get back in step and to build with him versus what only God can do. You with me on this? So the first step is awareness. Oh man, I realize I've been building whatever and working whatever in my week without him. So then I think the next step is discern the difference. Okay, which step are you inviting me to take and which step do I need you to take because I can't move, I can't get out this boat, I can't walk on this water unless you're there and my eyes are on you. We need to discern the difference between doing what you can and letting God do what you can't, which is a mantra in this church. And the sooner you understand the difference, the sooner you can work and live with intention. I think another thing that's worth thinking about, where are we building our church? There are things that we can do, and there's things we need to entrust to God. And that's why we pray to work the difference. We can't build and knit together this church alone. What about your family? What's the foundation for your life, for your family, for your house. You're building it on something. The value is seeping out of you every single day of what really matters and what this family is really about. You just may not be aware of it yet. But could you bring some intention to it and say, I don't know, we build this family, what we're about, what we're talking about, what we're praying about, what we're living out is to love God with everything and love our neighbor as ourselves. Is that a foundation worth building on? Yes. Unless the Lord and his way and his love is building this thing, we're building something fruitless. What are you building your life on? What's the bedrock foundational thing that say, I may do this as my job, I may do this as my vocation, I may do this with my hobby, but the underlying thing that I'm building the whole of it on is what? This is a question that has to be answered and has to be kept in front of us. What does it look like to build these things with God, to do what you can and let God do what you can? The answer is partnership, not just autonomy. The antidote to autonomy is participation and partnership, to partner with God in your everyday life. There's no other life to live except the one you're living right now, moment to moment. You can talk to me about your spiritual life and your parent life and your mom life and your your friend life. There's one life. There's no other life that Jesus wants to live with you except this one right now. To partner with God in your everyday life because he's already there. He's waiting for you to show up which leads us to our first practice which is this. To practice the presence of God in your work this week. And you say, I'm off this week. I don't have a job this week. You're doing something. God wants to do it with you. One of my favorite books is a little book by a man named Brother Lawrence. And it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's public domain. You could probably download it on a PDF. Just Google Brother Lawrence, Practice the Presence of God. This man washed dishes in his monastery. You say, well, he was a monk. He was a monk. But you think he was praying 24-7? This man washed dishes. And he did it with God. He developed and wrote these letters in this little book 
about cultivating the mundane, everyday life and infusing it with the overlap of heaven and earth. Amen? So to practice the presence of God, you look at your to-do list this week, and you say, okay, what do I got going this week? I'm seeing something that's going to stress me out. I'm seeing something I don't want to do. So you've got your to-do list in front of you. Now, how can you create space before or around or within it to draw the resources that you need instead of giving what you don't have, his presence and peace, would you try to tap into that in prayer and sitting with him? This is why we talk about times in the morning most often because that's when your to-do list gets running and if you're not careful, you're just gonna keep your head down and do your day and then you put on the office at night and you're done. So before you say, okay, how can I create space around it? Because you can't find the time, you gotta make the time, which is why one of our core practices is to create space. While you work and wash dishes and take kids to school or you go to work, what's a phrase from Scripture? A breath prayer? Here's one. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. That one is like the bread and butter of a whole denomination, the Eastern Orthodox tradition. It's called the Jesus Prayer. It's yours. It's from Scripture. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Is there a psalm, a line, one of mine? Let your unfailing love surround me because we put our hope in you. What's a breath prayer, a phrase that you can call to your mind when you're washing dishes and doing your work to practice the presence of God in your work this week? It's what keeps you awake to God's presence because unless the Lord is building and watching with us, what we're doing is fruitless. That's a practice to help you live with intention this week. The second half is not a half of my message. I really just got a few more notes for you. The second half with the arrows and the kids deals with family. Or more broadly, because not all of us have kids, it's the people that you're living your life with. But when it comes to this text and this half in particular, in a world without maternity wards and C-sections and IVF and NICUs and pediatricians, Healthy children that made it past one year of life were recognized, rightly so, as a miracle. Without Advil and Google and a Teladoc, they are rightly seen as a miracle. It's a shame that in our modern life, we neglect to see just the miracle it is that you are sitting here right now. Because you probably drove here and just to get here is a miracle. You want to see Emma and Nora roll their eyes? Watch me do what I did for a long time, like every day, and watch out, because I'm probably going to start doing it again this week. Sometimes I'll just grab them, and I'll squeeze them, and I'll plant about 400 kisses on them, and I'll say, you are a what? You are a miracle. And I say, you don't even know it, because you're rolling your eyes. You don't even know all the little variables it took to get you right here in front of us. It's a gift. And I don't know about you guys, 
But I don't want to live a life that takes for granted the everyday miracles of living and breathing and having made it. And it's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic and a week and a season like this to be reminded of it. And I said this two weeks ago, and I'm really not trying to be trite. I literally say, thank you, God, every time the car starts. Every time my house doesn't fall over and the car starts and we wake up without fevers, I say, praise God and I don't want to take it for granted. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live one more day this week without taking for granted the everyday miracles. Do you realize that this time last week, someone in our church was headed to the hospital, and the day before last week, somebody in our church went to the hospital, completely non-COVID. It is a miracle they're back and okay today, because every moment is a miracle. One of the ways I pray every day May every interaction and distraction be an invitation to seek you and find you, for every moment is a light with the fire of your presence. Every moment is a burning bush inviting your attention and intention. So my second honest question before our second practice is this. What have you forgotten to say thank you for lately? Oh, man, because, I don't know, my car just started. Whatever, I'm here. I'm awake while Adam's talking in the dark room. Okay. Say thanks. For negative tests, we say thank you. But let's say it. You can write it. You can pray it. If you want to, let's say it. What are you thankful for right now? For the, did you say the weather? Cooler weather. What are you thankful for right now? You can type it if you're watching it online, if our stream's still going. Good friends. I'm thankful we can do this right now for a church family. We have people to do this with. Now, don't sit with the guilt right now too long that, oh, man, I haven't said thank you for my this or that. Don't sit with the guilt that you forgot. Offer thanks for the fact that you just remembered. Every moment is a burning bush inviting your attention and intention. Here's the second practice. Before we get there, well, we'll say it. Practice gratitude today before pain narrows your focus tomorrow. Get in the habit today. I'll illustrate it this way. Three Easter's ago, the young men in my family decided it was a good idea to play basketball all in our 30s. That's exactly right. To my family, it was extremely hilarious. And to all of us playing, it was extremely painful. Literally every single one of us were texting the next day about our maladies and how we hobbled off the court. And they were laughing at me the most on that day because they just said, oh man, you just jammed your finger. And then the next day I sent them a picture and said, is this a jammed finger? I had torn multiple ligaments in my pinky finger, and they're still laughing at me. I can't straighten it, and for about a year, I couldn't bend it fully. And it reminds me of the old song, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? Because while they're laughing, try putting on a belt without the use of your right-handed pinky. Excruciating. Try opening a door. Impossible. 
Try making a fist to shake at your wife who's laughing at you. Painful. You don't know what you got till it's gone. This is a very silly way to deal with a very serious point. Practice gratitude today before that pain narrows your focus and reminds you of what you should have been grateful for before. That's weighty, that's serious, so practice it today. It is a gift. It is a gift. This moment is a gift. Pay attention. God is here. He's waiting on you. You may have thought you left him down the road. You don't have to turn and walk a mile. All you got to do is turn one second. He's here already. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So practice the presence of God in your work this week. Practice gratitude with the ones you're living with today. Your family. See it rightly as a blessing. Do whatever it takes this week to keep your head above water and your feet connected to the source of love and life. Do what you can and let God do what you can. He is forming you. He's sustaining you. And listen, he is inviting you to greater intention in your work and in your life by giving your attention back to him. So just... This is not in the slides. I need you to hear this bit of good news from Jesus. It's from Matthew chapter 11. I need you to hear this as we close. Jesus is issuing an invitation to you right now in your everyday life before we receive communion and worship and head out our separate ways again. You need to hear this invitation of good news from Jesus. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God, may our everyday life be lived in participation with you, our eternal God. May we see places where heaven and earth overlap as we go about our days washing dishes and doing the weighty things where we just need you and your rest. May we be attentive to you. May we be a people who live with intention. For you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. We pray this in the name of Jesus who invites us to come to him now. Amen. Amen. Let's receive our benediction. As you leave from this place to wherever your journey takes you, remember that the risen Christ has gone ahead of you and that goodness and mercy shall follow you. There's work to be done this week. There are things to do and obstacles to face. Regardless of what lies ahead, may you practice the presence of God in your work this week, confident that what you are building is not in vain and when the God of the universe sustains and surrounds you. There are people to love this week. There are little graces and everyday miracles to give thanks for. 
Regardless of the daily bread and the daily interactions, may you practice gratitude today before pain narrows your focus tomorrow, confident that the seeds of love you sow now will be remembered when you see our Lord face to face. Go in peace.